One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Hi, I'm Anoush and I'm Chris. Today it's a devolution special and I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Deeran, our Scotland editor, to talk about the upcoming Scottish elections and also Nicola Sturgeon's recent woes. And then we'll be talking a bit about what's happening in Wales too. Now, it's a big week for Boris Johnson. He will be up before the Commons apologising for the fine he received for Partygate. Then we have PMQs. So we will be talking about all of that on Thursday once uh, all of the pieces have fallen into place with our political editor, Andrew Mark. But Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a perfect time to have you on, actually. Um, And there's a lot to talk about. But the most obvious topic dominating the front pages of the Scottish papers today, uh, we're recording on Tuesday morning, is the First Minister Nicola Sturgeon's own sort of mini version of Partygate. She's had to apologise for not wearing a mask after she was filmed breaching the rules in a barbershop. And police officers have had to speak to her to remind her of the importance of wearing a mask. How damaging is this? I mean, it's not the first time it's happened, is it? She had to apologise for taking a mask off awake in in December 2020, if I remember. Yeah, I hate to be a bore, but I I do struggle to to get particularly exercised about this one. I think the First Minister briefly had her mask off. I think we've all done it. We've gone into places and realised that we haven't put a mask on. And if a photograph gets taken at the right time, then suddenly, especially if you're First Minister, you you look a little bit guilty. But it it feels to me more like a a slightly desperate attempt to bring a, a party gate feel of things to Scotland. What she hasn't done is hold a series of, of parties, boozing it up with her pals and uh, <laughs> getting a fixed penalty notice. As far as we can tell, she simply forgot to put her mask on for a short period, which is a very human thing to do. She's apologised. I'm not entirely sure why the police felt they needed to speak to her. It's, it's not like she was uh, resisting the, the fact that she'd be caught out. People get excited by it. It's the First Minister, so the newspapers are all over it. But it's hard to see... I think the public are probably reasonably fair-minded about this and and will judge it on the basis that it was a a slip rather than a a deliberate uh, attempt to break the rules. Okay, because ironically, she had to apologise for this on the same day that mask mandates were actually due to be lifted in Scotland. So now people in Scotland are no longer legally required to wear masks in indoor spaces like shops and restaurants or on public transport. And that must be after, what, two years of mask mandates. Is that right? That, that is. I was in the shopping centre yesterday and I didn't actually realise it was the day that would, would could be taken off until someone in a shop pointed it out to me and the, the sort of sense of liberation when I removed it was weird but also highly enjoyable. But you can still see there's still a mix of people. Some people are wearing masks still, I think, just not used to it or they don't want to, to quite give them up yet. But I think we've anyone who's made the journey from Scotland down to the south has... Further south, you get fewer masks you've seen for quite some time now. So it's been a real cultural uh, difference between Scotland and England for a, for a while now. But it's nice to... The only thing is, of course, we've all put on weight during lockdown, so your jowls are suddenly visible in ways that we weren't for the last couple of <laughs> jowls years. Jowls unleashed. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of wobbling going on. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so you talked about that cultural difference. Is there a difference in mindset as well? Is COVID perhaps more of a um, vote moving issue in Scotland than it might still be in, in England? I, I think we've had a different experience of COVID in some ways. So I think the political experience of COVID has been, been quite different. It's not an original thing to say, but I do think that Sturgeon, the, the numbers and the data, if you like, are not radically different. But I think the way Sturgeon has handled the last couple of years has been quite different from the way that, that Boris Johnson and his government have handled it. She's been on top of it, or certainly seemed to be on top of it. Uh, at all times, she's been giving every impression she's working her socks off, that she's feeling the burden. She talked previously about sometimes waking up in the morning and thinking, God, I can't go on with this as the, the deaths piled up, etc. Just about the kind of moral burden that, that she felt, which I think is quite impressive, but that she's human enough to uh, to admit that, that these things take their toll on the person that's having to, to make all the decisions on the rest of her behalf. But she's, it's felt like she's taken it seriously. It's felt like the government's taken it seriously. There hasn't been really any politicking going on. There's maybe a bit between Westminster and Scotland, but not so much as you might expect. And I think maybe her seriousness about it has fed through into the way that the Scottish people have, have behaved. People have largely been okay about wearing masks. Some business people have been unhappy about the uh, duration of lockdown and maybe the ongoing mask situation. But I think overall people have behaved themselves and it's almost like a pleasant surprise now to be able to move on from the mask moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how much do you think all of this is going to be playing into the local elections? Because all local authorities are up for election in Scotland in May. And if that's not a priority issue, what do you think uh, the driving issues will be? <laughs> independence, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, if independence is the driving issue behind every election in, in Scotland. I, I, I don't think COVID will be a, a particular driving driving force. There are probably a, f a few things going on. There, there's the national argument and then there's the, the local argument. And I think from what I've seen from the leaflets and the campaigns, the national argument is the one that's being most commonly used by the politicians. According to what I've seen on Twitter, everyone from every party is getting a great reception on the doorstep. I'm not sure how scientific <laughs> that is, but so they, they tell me the sun is shining and the voters love them. But actually, when you see the literature, it, it tends to be the SNP want to show Boris how much we dislike his behaviour over Partygate and other things. Labour and the Tories want to give Nicola Sturgeon a bloody nose. Yeah. Uh, and that's the kind of level it's been fought at among the party leadership. Obviously, it's a local election and there are local issues. So, for example, my council in, in Stirling moved from a fortnightly to a monthly bin collection within the last year anyway. And it's been, everyone's been talking about it because it just means that you fill up your rubbish bin very quickly and your sack's lying around the garden and I'm going to the dump at least once a month at the moment to for the, get rid of the excess garbage. And I know that a lot of people's schoolgate kind of conversations were, were all about that. So the question is... How does something like that feed into or use up an issue like Boris Johnson and Partygate and Boris Johnson and Ukraine and these things? And where does the, the balance lie? And it is quite hard to tell. We haven't really had very many polls in Scotland, but there's only really one I could find. So we've got 32 local authorities up here. None of them are currently under one party overall control because it's, the councils are elected under an STV system. So it tends to be either independents or minorities or, or weird coalitions that, that run our country. But the, uh, interestingly, the poll that we did get earlier this month showed that the SNP were on 44% for the first vote preference, which is up from 32 in 2017. So it's quite a big lift, 12, 12 mm. percentage points. 2017 Labour were up from 20 to 23 and the Conservatives were down from 25 to 18. So uh, what that really does is it puts Labour above the Conservatives into second place 
if, if, if it turns out that way. Um, but obviously the SNP are still, the, those elite electoral athletes in the SNP are still miles <laughs> ahead of the, the pack and showing no signs of slowing down despite everything. Speaking to people in Labour, th- their view is that it's really a fight for second place between them and, and the Tories. And I think there's a confidence that Labour will come out on top on the share of the vote and maybe on the number of councillors. The, the totemic local authority is Glasgow, mm-hmm. which as we know for so long was the kind of heartland of Labour in Scotland and for that reason Labour in the UK at, at times. And the SNP have been the largest party there since 2017. And it's been quite a controversial period. We've, there's been a lot of complaints about the, the state of Glasgow's streets, the complaints about the city infrastructure. The council's had quite a few standoffs with the trade unions, quite a few strikes to deal with and that kind of thing. So the question is, can Labour win back Glasgow? And is that the, the kind of fillip they need to begin a proper comeback in Scotland and for the SNP to begin some kind of decline, none of which has happened over the last 15 years since the SNP first took power. I, I don't think Labour will beat the SNP in Glasgow. I expect the SNP to be the largest party still. And in fact, I've got a feeling they didn't stand candidates in all the available wards in 2017. So they might find if they do that this time, their vote will go up just as a matter of uh, having more people to vote for. So I suspect Labour will, will make some inroads into uh, the SNP majority. And then the question obviously is, what does this tell us about Anas Sarwar, the Scottish Labour leader? This is the mm. first election he's fought while he's been leader, really the devolved election a couple of years ago. He'd only been in office for a matter of weeks. It, it, it was difficult to see his uh, grip on Labour as having an impact one way or the other, but this time he's, he's been there for a few years. So we know from the polls that the public seems to quite like him. They think that he's intelligent, they think he's charismatic, they like him. Uh, will that feed through into how people vote in the local elections? And also, what will it tell us about Keir Starmer and Labour's relatively better performance at Westminster? Is that starting to feed through into Scotland as well? So there's a whole bunch of things to watch for. Conservatives no longer have Ruth Davidson. They did in 2017. They did quite well in 2017. That was the local election just before the devolved election, where they did very well and beat Labour into third place. But Douglas Ross, the uh, Ruth Davidson's successor, is, uh, hasn't really set the heather alight. So... If they start to fall back, then that could be the that'd be an indicator that the, that, that Tory moment may be starting to fade in Scotland. So a whole bunch of cross-feeding and, and complicated uh, threads that we need to follow. Mm-hmm. Thank you for laying out all of that um, so thoroughly. And it's interesting because we have a sort of pattern here of voters moving away from the Tories, but it hasn't always resulted in a sort of active choice to, to vote Labour as opposed to the Conservatives. Mm. How similar is the trend in Scotland? You know, Labour sort of potentially moving to become the second largest party. Is that because people are moving away from the Tories, but not necessarily towards Labour? Or is, you say, Anasawa is quite popular. Is there a sort of active movement in favour of Labour? Yeah, the impact of the constitutional question has had to do with the sort of second and third place fight in Scotland. So if you're a, a unionist and the Labour Party, certainly under uh, the previous leader in Scotland, was wobbly on whether it was fully committed to the union, whether it was a bit more open-minded about its candidates or its supporters supporting independence. And Annis has been much more focused on being uh, both a party of the union, but actually not really wanted to talk about the union, wanted to park the constitutional question and get on with discussing schools and hospitals and, and domestic policy and those kinds of areas. I think that uh, bunch of voters, if you like, has tended to flip between the Tories and Labour up mm. here because the Liberal Democrats have been flatlining for a long time. The Greens are, you know, if anything, more pro-independence than the SNP are and obviously quite hard, hard left as well. So they're not really picking up Tory voters and or for that matter, Labour voters who 
uh, some of them have gone to the SNP over the years as they change their constitutional preference. So it's, I, I think it's a, largely it's those voters are up for grabs between the Conservatives and Labour, which is why it's interesting to watch if the Tories are falling back and Labour are starting to push ahead and then try and figure out the impact of Keir Starmer on that, the impact of Anna Sarwa. Mm-hmm. And at any point, does it seem like the SNP are going to be pulled back down to join the rest of humanity from the, the sort of golden throne in the sun. It's, it's, it's intriguing. But as I say, you know, I suspect at the end of the day, nothing much will change at the top. It'll just be a, a question of whether Labour can kick the Tories to the curb. OK, and that dent in the Tories' uh, popularity, is that because of Partygate? It's interesting that Douglas Ross felt like he ought to come out and call for Boris Johnson to resign back. So I think it was back in February or when all of those revelations yeah. were coming out and the nation was at its angriest, but he isn't renewing that call now. Does that make him look weaker or would his supporters think that was a sensible position to take? Yeah, I suspect there's a mix of, of views on that. There'll be people who agree with him that you know, in the middle of the, the Ukraine crisis, it's not a good time to, to, to get rid of the prime minister. But then there'll be others who will wonder why he's flip-flopped. We've all read these pieces about Britain changing its prime minister at various times, more critical than the one we're in at the moment. And mm. I think Douglas Ross has probably damaged his reputation for decisiveness. There was a real sort of sense of courage about him coming out and bringing the rest of his Hollywood parliamentary party with him when he came out and said, Boris needs to go over Partygate. So to then draw and change your mind on that, I, I don't think has particularly helped him. I think probably, though, to be fair, that the damage to the Conservatives has been done at Westminster. The people up mm. here are as aware of what's going on as, as people in England and, and are as unimpressed. So it'll be interesting to see, for example, how the, the uh, immigration stuff plays. Scotland has quite a, a bit of a different view on immigration. It's a bit more open-minded about immigration. So some pretty Patel, that's a situation doesn't particularly impress people up here. So I think the, the slightly odd position that they've found themselves in now with Rwanda, etc., might, might uh, impact on some people's de- decision about how they're going to vote. And then Partygate as well. So I suspect the burden... The greater burden on the Tories is, is Boris's behaviour and his government's behaviour rather than Douglas Ross. But what Douglas Ross hasn't done is what Ruth Davidson did, which was to you know almost stand up as an independent Scottish Tory and say what she thought and to make it clear that she was running the Scottish party and it wasn't just a mm. wing of, of the UK party. Douglas, having started quite well, I think has lost his way a little bit on that side of things. Yeah. Yeah, and, and just lastly, Chris, you've written about this on the New Statesman website, and I think all our listeners should have a read. But how has the war in Ukraine impacted the SNP's hopes of reviving the Scottish independence referendum? Yeah, I, I, one of the most interesting things for me now is the, the split within the yes campaign, uh, which is obviously not just the SNP. There are all sorts of organisations and movements that, that, that are pushing for independence and it's quite easy to find out articles being written by people who in 2014 were part of the Yes campaign who have lost faith with Sturgeon and the SNP as being a party that uh, actually will deliver a, a second referendum or indeed want to deliver a, a second referendum which I don't think is fair but you know the longer that Sturgeon keeps talking about definitely having a referendum by the end of 2023 which everybody knows isn't going to happen and they're not they're not ready if you look at how they were 2014 
the, this far out from when the referendum was being held in 2014 to when it would be held by the end of 2023. There have been none of the building blocks in place that they had then. The campaign isn't ready. The arguments aren't ready. The infrastructure isn't ready. And also, Westminster isn't going to get yes to having a referendum. And Scottish people don't want a referendum. So th- <laughs> there really is no possibility of that happening. They might start to push for one before the next Holyrood election, which will be in 2026, I think. So there might be more of a, a realistic approach to thinking maybe we can go for later rather than sooner. But you get a feeling that although the SNP are still doing incredibly well in the polls, they're not under any threat from the opposition parties as of yet. That core of support for independence is, is, is feeling slightly abandoned and maybe not treated like grown-ups, the, the mm-hmm. sense of can you just be honest with us and tell us what the truth of it is instead of spinning these stories about it by the end of 2023 and we'll certainly be independent by the end of this decade. And whatever. It just doesn't feel like that, Scotland, at the moment. I think that's where Labour see their opportunity to. People are getting a bit bored of the conversation, so they're trying to nip in and have that conversation about education and health and the economy. We're very definite failures by the SNP government. That if you can focus voters' views Mm. Uh, on the, on that, you could see maybe starting to make up some ground, but and and certainly the Ukraine war again. My my view, and I, I haven't seen polling on this, but my view is that when we are in crisis situations, independence becomes less likely. Um, there'll mm-hmm. be those who disagree with that, but I just think that the risks of independence, whether you're in, in favour or not, it's not really about that. There will be obvious economic consequences to that to deal with, and very hard decisions to be taken. And if you get that on top of the global order changing under your feet and for Russia threatening nuclear weapons, you've got the cost of living crisis, which is bad now and will get much worse. I don't think anyone sensible would think that would be a good time to ask Scottish people if they want to risk it even further and, and break away from the, the rest of the UK. So it just feels like, as well as the fact that Scotland hasn't really wanted a referendum since the last Holyrood election, the majority of Scots don't, it just feels like the timing would be all wrong as well. I may be wrong, but my instinct is that people are less likely to take a, a giant risk like that when they're in the middle of about three or four other giant risks uh, at the present time. Thank you so much for coming on, Chris. That was really fascinating stuff. And I'm sure we'll have you on again soon, perhaps to unpick the results of those elections. So I'll leave you now to, to feel the wind on your jowls. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Hello, it's Alva here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. At the moment, you can subscribe from £1 a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to www.newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. From The New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Songs are like tattoos, Mitchell said on Blue. Having one written about you is immortality and fiction rolled into one. Featuring writing from our authors, including Kate Mossman on Joni Mitchell's former muse and lover, Jeremy Cliff on his journey through France before this year's presidential election, and Sophie McBain on the refugee crisis. Don't die, he kept shouting. He didn't answer when Marwa screamed back, Who is dying? Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads. Published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads wherever you get your podcasts. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So for part two of this podcast, we're going to look at the Welsh local elections. All 22 local authorities in Wales are up for election. And the last elections here were held in 2017. So obviously a lot has changed since then. To discuss this with me, I've got Freddie Hayward, our political reporter. Hi, Freddie. Thanks so much for joining us. Not at all. Thanks for having me. So I think the first place that would be the best place to look would be at the polling. So can you give us a bit of an overview of what the polls look like in Wales? Yes, I think it's really interesting when you look at the polls because we can see a big change since 2019. So the Tories, for instance, they're down about 10 points. Labour are up by only about 0.1 points. So that's not a uh, a massive change. Plaid, Cymru are up. The Greens are up slightly. But I think, again, you have to take into account some of the big changes that have come in. So, for instance, in the elections in 2019, what we saw is that the UKIP vote fell away completely and lots of those votes went to the Conservatives. The same happened in the the Senate elections last year. So there's a, a movement away from the uh, politics um, that we had back in, you know, the 2015, 16, 17 period. And you're seeing those changes come to fruition now. So there's, there's, there's different reference points we can look at. But yes, I think at the moment, Labour in the lead, uh, the Tories are slightly down on their 2019 performance. And so we'll likely see a maintenance of the status quo. Okay, because obviously we've had the kind of the fall of the red wall in Westminster elections between the last local elections in Wales, which were in 2017 and today. And I kind of wonder how that will play out because in a way, Wales was the was the fall of the red wall before it was cool. I remember going there back in 2016 after the Brexit referendum and ahead of the 2017 locals and reporting on the rise of UKIP and the Tories in places at that time where that, that had never been heard of, you know, in South Wales and the Valleys where they used to weigh the Labour vote instead of counting them because there was just no point in counting them because it was so heavily Labour. So do you think we're going to see any of that fallout, any of that political change in these elections? I mean, the Tories won the biggest gains back in 2017, so they have more to defend and sort of more to lose now in a way, but it also puts pressure on Labour to win back seats in councils in places where they had a good showing in the Welsh Assembly elections last year when they matched their best ever Senate election result, winning half the seats in the Welsh Parliament. So what do you think the pattern might be? Yeah, I think we saw lots of that change come about in the 2019 general general election. As you say, Wales was actually a large part of the what we call the red wall in the media. So you saw, for instance, the Conservatives capture Wrexham in the north, but they also captured uh, Fregenden in the south. So there was that shift towards the Conservatives in some respect. I think they they secured around 36% of the overall vote compared to Labour's 41%. There was a, a stride forward for the Tories in that election, but Labour still held out. And I think that was one of the themes of the election was that there was a, a difference and a separation between the Labour campaigns in England and elsewhere and also in Wales under Mark Drakeford. I think the 
the consensus really was that they had a quite a good election and that's gone on since then as particularly with um, a lot of the coverage that the the Labour government has had during the COVID pandemic. Okay and should we talk a bit about the sort of key battlegrounds in Wales? Bridge End is quite an interesting one. Labour currently has a minority administration in that council and the last time the council was elected there it was Labour's worst local result there in 15 years. Now it's, it's showing quite a strong performance. Um, in the 2021 Welsh Assembly election, they they showed a strong performance, so they're going to hope to reclaim an outright majority in that council. Are there any seats that you've seen that might be uh, interesting to to watch? Yeah, no, definitely. I think one of the interesting aspects of the election is the predominance of independents. There are so many independent candidates that it makes you realise or remember that it's hard to just transplant national politics onto local elections. There are many local issues that are agitating or motivating voters, as Chris mentioned earlier. So I think, for instance, you look at Cardiff, there are uh, big questions over developments there and how planning has been managed by the, the Labour uh, Council. So that's another aspect too. And I think often, you know, with local elections, people can over overestimate their relationship to national politics. And I think that's particularly relevant when we're looking at devolution, because obviously there's the devolved administrations there, which add another layer uh, of distance between the elections and the and the national politics. So yes, if, if for instance, I think Cardiff is a good example of where those local issues are going to come to the fore and you'll see a, a really important battle that will relate to the issues that people find really important, whether that's planning or bin collection or, or other things. That's so interesting. And then you also have the national issues playing into some of these the elections as well, Partygate in particular. You've got two councils that have a sort of conservative independent coalition, Wrexham and Denbyshire, where Labour will hope to build on the momentum that they gained there in the Welsh Assembly elections last year and, and try and win those councils. And if they fail to make those gains, even after Partygate, questions will be asked about how much support they are actually receiving. Flincher is another interesting one where Labour has a minority administration short of one seat. And again, after some strong showings there last year, they're going to hope to win that as well. So I think if these councils aren't won, or at least Labour doesn't show a, that it's building on the, the strength of its election results last year, then there will be questions asked about Labour's support in Wales, even after quite a torrid time for the Tories nationally. Yeah, no, I think that is a good point. And it, it does become more important or more pertinent when you look at some of the seats that they did lose in the 2019 general election. So we often use local elections as a bit of a heuristic to predict results or to look at where, where people's votes are at the moment. I mean, one of the problems with Partygate thus far is that we've not had a major electoral test for the government to, to see how the scandal is affecting voters. So this, you're right, this is an opportunity. But the one thing I would say is that there is quite a big difference between responsibility, where responsibility lies in the party. The Labour, the Welsh Labour Party is quite set up and it's quite independent of the, the National Party. So lots of that accountability, let's say, would lie with Mark Drake rather than the national po political team. And we've spoken about this before on the podcast, I think, in the past, that COVID did expose to voters how important devolved areas of policy were. Health in particular is the obvious one. And perhaps that was one of the driving forces um, behind Labour's strong Welsh Parliament election results last year. So it would be interesting to see whether any of that enthusiasm has melted away or whether it can be solidified. Yeah, definitely. There was one moment or one press conference where Mark Drakeford described himself as the Prime Minister of Wales. So definitely <laughs> a sense that they are representing their country. I think you've seen the same with 
sturgeon in Scotland where they become, because health policy is largely devolved, they become the spokesperson for uh, government policy and they also decide COVID restrictions. Again, as we've seen in Scotland and Wales, then they've gone slightly slower in moving away from restrictions. So I definitely think that's been a factor in refocusing people's perspectives and how they see devolved administrations and, and, and COVID definitely deepened that. Great. Okay. We'll keep an eye on those seats. Thanks so much for talking us through them, Freddie. And we'll also hear from Alva, who is currently reporting in Belfast in the next podcast so that we make sure that we cover the Northern Ireland Assembly elections too. So that will be a run on from this devolution special. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shikelian, and my colleagues, Chris Deering and Freddie Hayward. We're produced by Adrian Bradley and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a nice review. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Trust in politics is broken, so can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.